0: Hello and welcome to The Dirt, in partnership with Marshall's Garden. We're the podcast that won't be blighted by the odd gardening hiccup. They help us grow. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine.
1: And I'm Laura's second in command, Blake. Stick around for a roundup of the gardening news that we've heard on The Grapevine this week and take inspiration for things that you can be getting on with on the plot despite the unpredictable winter weather right now. But first, our guest for today is the esteemed garden writer Sally Nex. Welcome
0: to the podcast, Sally. Hello, Blake. How are you? I'm good. How are you
1: doing?
2: Very well, thank you.
0: Hi, how are things in your garden today? All kind of damp, really.
2: (laughs) (laughs) A little bit brown in the way that they are at this time of year. Um, But there's little things going on. I have to say, the first snowdrops are coming through. (gasps) It's um, such a lovely time of year. It just gives you hope, doesn't it? And boy, yeah. do we really need that at the does. moment. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's so true. Now,
1: just a little reminder that spring is going to turn up eventually. It's, it's on its yes. way.
2: <laughs> it's round the corner. I
0: wouldn't be without
2: them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
0: fantastic. Only a couple of weeks till I can start sowing seeds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the real high points, isn't it? Oh,
2: yes. That means the season started.
0: <laughs> so we'll dive straight in while we're talking about positives and ask you about any of your real success stories that you've had in the garden this can be recently this can be since the start of your gardening career just anything that's really stuck out to you as being brilliant.
2: Sure well the plant of which I have been most proud and I have to say this has just been a standout highlight in all of my gardening career is actually the tree chili that I kept alive for four whole years would you believe in my greenhouse oh wow it was eight feet high by the time it was finished and I had to prop it up because it was so heavily laden with chilies and I was giving literally boxes of chilies to anybody (laughs) who happened across my way I'd almost stood in the lane outside and handed them out you know what I mean there were so many and I grew it from seed And uh, I, to be honest, I didn't have great expectations of it because somebody had said, oh, give tree chilies a try, see what they're like. Um, So I thought, all right, you know, I'm up for a challenge in the way that you are. And um, oh, my goodness, it was amazing. And I knew, you see, one of the reasons that I wanted to try it was because I knew that tree chilies are one of the few that you can overwinter. Mm. Um, So they tolerate a little bit more cold than your usual. And so, uh, so that's why I wanted to, to grow it, because I'm really into perennial vegetables, um, partly because it's less effort and less work, mm-hmm. um, but also because it's better for the environment than putting all the resources into uh, sowing seed every year. I mean, we all do it and everything, and that's fine. But if you can kind of chip away at the edges and grow as much as possible that you don't have to do that with, then all the better. So, I wanted to give it a try, and it exceeded all my expectations i don 't heat my greenhouse mm-hmm. um, we're lucky enough here down in Somerset not to have too many frosts or not very very hard ones anyway. Um, so within a greenhouse, it seems to say reasonably frost free if it looks like it 's going to be really cold, I do wrap it in cardboard and that kind of thing um, but uh, it kept going for four years. I think they 're probably short lived because when it did die, it died for no apparent reason, so I mm-hmm. think it just came to the end of its life, mm-hmm. and I have since sowed another batch. I've been giving them away to friends now. So I've got another one that's currently about four or five feet high, I think, in my greenhouse that I sewed last year. Hi, right. And that's perfectly well and alive. And I hope going to repeat the, uh, the performance in the next year or two.
0: <laughs> You've set yourself a bit of a challenge. There.
2: <laughs> well, absolutely.
1: So how do you look after that throughout the year?
2: I have to say I did kind of have a couple of failed attempts because I'm not brilliant at chilies. You, you have to you know sow them very early in the year and then you have to kind of keep them growing on quite strongly you have to keep them nice and warm and everything and uh, i tend to just be a bit lackadaisical sometimes or get distracted or whatever so um so i sometimes don't have a great deal of success with them but last year i did i actually concentrated and made sure that i got my seedlings up and going um and uh and there were as i say about three but i guess i must have sown about half a dozen and about four or five uh made it through and um and planted one in the ground and there's a couple in pots and I've given away one and things like that. So, um, so, yeah, it's it's fantastic and I can't wait for it to have its first proper crop of chilies this year.
0: Um, so what would be your top tips for tree chilies then? What's what's your secret? Well,
2: um, obviously, try and avoid frost as much as possible. Um, with, with overwintering them, what I tend to do is... Um, They they're very very big and very laden with chilies. So you harvest all the chilies in about sort of Octoberish. You can freeze them. Incidentally, they're Mm -hmm. a bit fleshy to dry, um, but uh, but you can just freeze them as they are. Um, And uh, so take all the all the fruit off and cut the whole plant back by about a a half to two third half to a third that kind of um, thing, so that you reduce the height considerably. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just kind of gives the roots a little bit of a better chance of being able to keep the plant going without having to support all that foliage and things. Um, Then basically I leave it pretty much as it is. I don't overwater it in the winter. In fact, hardly water it at all because most things, it's not the cold that kills them. It's actually the wet cold. So in other words, if it's mm. sitting in damp, chilly soil, that's what will kill an overwintering plant faster than anything else. Mm. So um, so I keep it very much on the dry side. I mean, you know, really parched, actually, and just occasionally give it a slosh if, if it's really, really looking powdery, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, but uh, but so that's maybe once every couple of months during the winter. I, I, I only water it lightly as well, maybe two or three times. And, um, and then... As I say, if if it looks like the temperature is going down well below zero, so you're talking about minus two, minus three or below, um, at that point I get out my cardboard boxes. (laughs) I don't use fleece because I don't like it. It's made of plastic and it shreds into the soil and it's just awful stuff. Um, So I don't use it. But what I do use is um, kind of tubes, really, of cardboard boxes. It sounds terrible. Um, But (laughs) you basically make cardboard boxes into tubes around the plant Um, So it's this whopping great big tube in the corner of the greenhouse, looks like nothing on earth. (laughs) You you can top it off with either another bit of cardboard or some um, blanket, but obviously there's no light in there. So you can only really, really leave it on for the time while the cold is going on kind of thing. But normally down here, that's no more than a week or two at the very most. Mm. And then as soon as the temperature starts coming up again, you can take it all off again and, and leave it to... You know be nicely ventilated and all that kind of thing um but yeah uh it, it seems to work all right actually it's, it certainly it gets it through anyway and um and then when you've got the new growth coming through usually in about february early march maybe um, as soon as you start seeing new leaves, you just water and feed as usual.
1: I'm still thinking. I like the idea of you handing out chilies to people outside on the street because you just had too many and sort of becoming so known locally as the <laughs> the, yeah, the chili yeah. woman. Yeah.
2: <laughs> mad chili lady. <laughs> Absolutely, they're beautiful as well. They're they're like miniature sweet peppers. Yeah. Um, a little bit, kind of, um, you know, like a horn shaped almost. So not quite blocky like sweet peppers are, but but they're certainly red and quite fleshy. And, um, and it's, uh, like I say, you can't really dry them. You can only really dry thin-skinned chilies. Um, so with these, I literally just bung them in the freezer and just just as they are, um, usually lay them out on a on a tray so that they'll freeze separately, um, and then just decant them into a plastic bag and bung them in the freezer. But after you've got about two or three large plastic bags in the freezer, you can only make so much chili con carne. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all of my poor friends have little gifts of you know, oh, you can freeze these, you know. it's yes. <laughs> terrible. And <laughs>
0: uh, um, well, moving on from the successes. In the garden to the other side of the coin. Can you tell us about any of your clumsiest mistakes or biggest fails in the garden? And we don't say fails in a negative way because obviously you learn from them, but. <laughs>
2: oh, things are always going wrong here. They're really, you know, oh, it's just, you know, no matter how much experience you get, I think, uh, things always throw you a blindside. I mean, this year, for example, I've had. Um, my winter brassicas, as usual, growing under insect-proof mesh, okay? Big cage, mm-hmm. insect-proof mesh. Keeps everything off, lovely. The only problem is, for the first time in all my... Gosh, I must have been growing 25, 30 years now. Mm-hmm. In the first time in all of that, the blimmin' mice got in. Oh, no. And they they ate all of my cabbages. Like, I, you know, you'd cut your cabbage and you'd find this whopping great big hole in it with mouse poo in it, so it's oh, kind of oh, obvious no. what was in there. It was just <laughs> awful. And they get in there and they eat out all the hearts. And I tried absolutely everything. The only thing I can think is that the mice felt comfortable underneath the mesh because obviously mm. nothing could see it, see mm. them. So they, they didn't have any predators able to get at them. Yeah. So I'm in a real dilemma now because I don't like killing things. I really try and avoid it if I possibly, possibly can. But I can't think how to keep them off. I really can't. Um, mm. So I'm going to have to put my thinking cap on. I did make a, this is going to sound really bonkers, but a mesh, um, like a, as in a galvanised mesh, Uh, cloche, which I put over some seedlings that they were also eating, Mm. mice. I have a lot of mice in my garden. Um, But this, uh, this mesh cloche worked very well. Um, but how you would scale that up to an entire 12 foot square bed of brassicas, I just don't know.
1: I Maybe mean, you yeah. need some sacrificial plants nearby that you just kind of yeah, use as a deterrent peace. for them, you know. Yeah, yes,
2: exactly. yeah. yeah peace <laughs> seedlings, that would do it. Um, yeah. But I mean, in terms of sort of, um, you know, funny fails, as it were, it's, strictly speaking, I suppose, not my fail. Or I also hate talking about fails because actually I learn far more from my mistakes than I ever do from the things that I do right every year you know what I mean mm. yeah um, absolutely. so uh, it's actually when I was I was being a very good mum and trying to teach my children how to garden <laughs> and uh, they were tiny at the time so it was some time ago but I gave them a little corner of the garden to themselves and uh, they uh, they wanted to plant some flowers so I said okay um uh, here's some tulip bulbs which I had left over from something so uh, so I gave them some tulip bulbs but rather forgot to tell them that there was a right way up for bulbs oh, yes. and so actually do you know I didn't notice what they'd done until the following year when I came to or later in the year when I came to dig up the tulip bulbs and uh, they'd neatly planted every single one of them upside down with oh. the roots oh. at the top and the, and the nose at <laughs> the bottom it was so sweet but you know the tulip bulbs had just simply sprouted as usual, as it were, going down into the ground, and then done a U-turn and come up anyway. (laughs) So it just goes to show, it doesn't matter how you do it, you can do it all wrong, or all at least not how the textbooks tell you to. And the lovely thing about plants, and this applies very much to vegetables as well, the lovely thing about plants is that on the whole, they are programmed to grow. They'll grow almost yeah. despite you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so really, it, it, don't worry so much. You know what I mean? Every, everyone worries so much about doing it right. Actually, just do it kind of as right as you can. And if you do mm-hmm. it wrong, like chances are you'll get something to pick anyway.
0: Yeah. And also, I think it's a bit of finding your own way, because I think you could do a sort of an interview with 100 different gardeners and you could guarantee that they wouldn't all do things exactly the same way anyway.
2: Absolutely. And there's lots of sort of conflicting uh, answers that you'll get to any kind of problem. You know, some people will do it this way, some people do it that way. And, um, and what works for some people work, doesn't work for others as well. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. climate plays a lot of, uh, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It, it plays a lot of a part in that because down here, we're really lucky with the climate. It's very warm. Um, but I know you know I speak to some gardeners regularly who live up in Scotland. There's one gardener at the moment who's on my um, I do an online gardening course and mm-hmm. uh, so I teach this lady. She lives in Orkney I- and and my goodness <laughs> me, can you imagine trying to grow vegetables up in Orkney? and I my hat's <laughs> off to her. She's a very yeah. persistent lady and she's doing amazing an amazing job and I'm giving you know sharing what knowledge I have of of you know trying to grow very hardy vegetables in the teeth of girls and we do get an awful lot of weather here actually even though it's quite warm weather we do get quite a lot of it Mm. um fact is that you know her conditions and what she can grow is going to be entirely different from what I can grow and everything will grow differently as well so you know for example things will grow big and and um, leggy here and they'll grow much more sort of tight and and dense where she is that kind of thing Mm. so just adjust what you're doing to the conditions that you have I think
0: yeah and another thing that I know is um, very different for all different people is the amount of time that you have to spend in the garden and obviously with everything that's been going on recently people that had perhaps been furloughed had more time in their garden that may now have slightly less time again so do you have any sort of cheeky shortcuts or things that you know speedy little tips that can help people out and show that actually you don't need to have all the time in the world to have success in the garden?
2: Well, this whole business about having loads of time to spend in the garden is so frustrating for me to listen to, Mm. I have to say, because I've had No blooming time in the garden, all the way through lockdown. (laughs) It has driven me nuts. I've really, really struggled to get enough time out in the garden because I've been writing a book all through lockdown, and that has been a fantastic experience, and I've really enjoyed writing it. But my goodness, it took me away from the garden. So Mm -hmm. all of these this talk of you know people racing around to garden centres. So I've very much been um, doing. That you know, whizzing out to the garden for five minutes when you can, kind of gardening, mm. which so many people have to do when they're working and and you know out of the house from you know eight in the morning until six or seven at night, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. So basically, my advice to everybody is just uh, be lazy, be really lazy. Don't do any more than you absolutely have to. Um. I mean. You know, things like weeds, for example, don't get too hung up about letting a few weeds grow. Some of them are ever so useful. I mean, I let nettle clumps grow all over the place here because they're so handy for you know cutting to make feed and that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. If you're uh, sowing, for example, so direct where you can, it's not always possible. And sometimes you know you, you lose them to pests and that kind of thing, in which case you really must raise them in pots but things like beetroot and carrots when you sow them station sow. so try and space your seeds so that they come up where they're meant to be growing and you don't have to thin them so mm-hmm. you, for example with beetroot you might sow them five centimeters apart that kind of thing much wider than perhaps you might if you're sprinkling them along a drill so that they come up and you don't have to bother, bother thinning them then or anything like that um, and the other thing is uh, I quite like double cordoning my tomatoes Rather than planting lots and lots and lots of tomatoes and sort of, you know, going to all the fuss of supporting them all and and all of that kind of thing, just plant Mm -hmm. half the number of tomatoes, but train two side shoots. So when it comes up, you know, they they grow like a a main shoot and then they'll quite often put off a side shoot after a month or two. Mm -hmm. Take that side shoot and let it grow and train it up a second support. And then what you end up with is two tomato plants for the price of one. Uh, the tomato plant will happily support two um, cordons. And then you train each each of the two cordons in just the same way. So you would tie it in, you would pinch out the side shoots, all of those kinds of care things. Um, and you get twice as many tomatoes. They're maybe a tiny bit smaller, but really you wouldn't notice. Mm. And you get twice the quantity. So it's a really good way of getting twice the yield for half the effort.
1: I love that. That's so thrifty. Yeah,
0: that's a really great tip. I yeah. feel like I need
1: to remember that, though, when i come to sow... Um, tomatoes you know next month they in March and uh, I just get a bit excited and do too many <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but which is what usually happens.
2: Oh but, my yeah. goodness the, this is something actually that I kind of bang on about quite a lot I'm very boring when it comes to uh, working out what to plant in my veg garden I, I mean I do plant exciting and interesting and new things from time to time in fact most years but what I like to do is to know how much I need to grow so for example I know that our family gets through about a dozen Savoy cabbages each winter. Okay, that's how <laughs> nerdy that I am. That is That really is. So you see, the thing is, if I sow 20 cabbages, then I have to throw away eight. Mm-hmm. But if I only sow half a dozen, we won't have enough. You see what I mean? So it's so important to know how much you want to grow and not to grow too much, because then you end up wasting time and resources in raising stuff that you're not going to eat you're not going to have room for you're not going to be able to grow and also you just have to make sure that you're growing enough to keep yourself fed right through the year as well mm-hmm. so that kind of thing you know that kind of planning is so important and um, really boring but but so useful
1: <laughs> um, so you mentioned you've been writing a book and I wanted to talk a little bit about it and hear a bit more about what people can expect from it so it's called how to garden the low carbon way
2: that's right yes um,
1: so yeah what what should we expect
2: Well, it's basically pulling together everything that I've been discovering for the last, or it's coming up to about three or four years now that I've been trying to do this. Um, It started out with trying to get rid of plastic out of my garden because Mm -hmm. this, uh, in about 2016, 2017, that kind of time, um, I went along to a lecture, actually, that was all about um, the kind of, you know, Pacific gyres and all the plastic that was in the wider environment. This was actually long before Blue Planet 2, and uh, it really opened my eyes. And I came home and just suddenly could see all the plastic everywhere. And nowhere more so than in my garden. It was just awful. It had piles of plastic pots and, you know, module trays and, and, and bits of fleece and plastic polythene cloches. And I don't know where else. Anyway, and I just thought, right, this is somewhere where I can do something about this. Mm-hmm. So I proceeded to try and get rid of plastic from my garden. I'm... Kind of, you know, I've still got lots of plastic in my garden, but I am certainly plastic-free now, from sowing to planting out, um, and I try and minimise it elsewhere in the garden as well. Um, And that kind of is one thing led to another, really. That led me to question how other aspects of my garden gardening were affecting the environment. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you've lifted the lid on that particular can of worms, my goodness (laughs) me! I mean, it's an incredibly big subject. Every single aspect of your gardening. Um, has an impact of some sort on the environment. Now, that can be, of course, a positive impact. Gardens are the most amazing little bits of concentrated uh, nature. So, for example, there are more, or there can be anyway, a well-planted garden can have more species of plant per square foot than a rainforest. Mm -hmm. And it's just the most incredible resource of biodiversity and nectar and carbon storage and, uh, um, you know, Lots, lots and lots of different aspects of um, environmental benefits now the trouble is you see it's never really been taken terribly seriously most people take you know, there's lots of research been done in forestry and lots of research been done in um, agriculture which are much better funded but not very many people have been looking at this aspect of gardening mm-hmm. and so this is kind of slightly an attempt to do that um, i've been drawing a lot from the research that has been done in agriculture so for example they know that um, ploughing uh, is the um, is responsible for about 9% of the carbon dioxide emissions from agriculture. And that's because when you turn the soil, you are exposing the carbon that it contains to oxygen. And of course, that oxidises it into carbon dioxide. So it yeah. actually emits carbon dioxide, greenhouse gas. And it follows, therefore, that if you double dig, or if you, in fact, if you dig at all, really, in the garden... Or if you leave soil exposed to the air, you are oxidising the carbon that it contains. So there are really important sort of points about how you manage your soil in order to make turn it into a carbon store. It's amazing. Something like 86% of the carbon in your garden is not in the plants or the trees at all. It's in your soil.
0: That's amazing.
2: And so if you can keep it there and if you can protect your soil and if you can uh, foster the incredible ecosystem that's underneath your feet, then you do amazing amounts of good for your little corner of the world. And it really can have, if we add up all of our gardens and we all do the same sort of thing, then it really adds up to a massive impact and it's an incredibly positive thing to do for the environment.
1: I think that's really interesting because for so many people that are gardeners, and I count myself in this, you kind of think I'm doing this and you feel like you're doing something good for the environment because you are a gardener and you perhaps don't look beyond what else you could be doing you know Mm, you just kind of like um draw a line under that and that's that so i think it's interesting to think about how we can make sure that our practices are being as eco-friendly as possible
0: yeah definitely
2: that's right because i mean it is absolutely true that simply by gardening you're doing something for nature you're keeping a piece of the the land open and undeveloped you are growing plants and trees and all of those things which are very much having lots and lots of benefit to the environment but the trouble is we can cancel that out by things like mowing the lawn with a petrol mower or mm-hmm. double digging or um you know weeding too much you know keeping your soil uncovered underneath your plants because of course one of the things about weeding is that you uh, you're basically keeping the soil unnaturally bare obviously when you're growing vegetables it's a little bit different because you don't really want to have lots of weeds competing with your vegetables that will affect your yield but in that case, you do still cover your soil, but you cover it with rotted down organic matter. So you mulch and mulch and mulch without disturbing the soil underneath any more than you absolutely have to. It's no dig. Mm-hmm. And no dig is incredibly good for the environment. It's really good for your plants as well because they can really get their roots into that ecosystem beneath the soil. If it's completely undisturbed, then you know they, um, they, they benefit too. Um, and also things like growing perennial vegetables that I was talking about a bit earlier. If you uh, grow perennial vegetables, then not only is it easier and you get lots and lots of yields for, you know, years at a time. I've got a Taunton Dean kale in my garden and it's absolutely lovely, really, really delicious kale. Mm -hmm. And you can just pick it all year, like 12 Mm -hmm. months of the year for up to five years at a time. You don't have to, you do have to collect, um, you do have to protect it a little bit in the summer as you would any brassica. But other than that, it's really zero maintenance. And all I do is mulch it each spring and just keep it mulched during the year. And it just rewards me with endless harvests. Now, to grow that kale, I haven't had to disturb that soil or buy new seeds or all of those very uh, resource intensive kind of activities that you do in gardening. I haven't had to do any of that for five years. So that's meant that that's one of the lowest carbon. In fact, it's probably, to be honest, nobody's done the measurements, but it's probably in the end carbon positive. So it's a really wonderful way that you can grow your own food in a really environmentally friendly way as well.
0: That's really great. That's so interesting. And I think definitely something that we'll have to give a try, won't we, Blake?
1: Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
2: (laughs) I challenge you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, Just to finish off, we always like to ask our guests, has there been one standout lesson that you've learned in your time gardening?
2: Well, there's two really. One is that nature is always the boss. (laughs) Don't try and keep it under control. Don't try and, uh, you know, outdo it or um, go against it. If you have blueberries and you have neutral or alkaline soil, as I have here, don't try and grow them in the ground. It's like, you know, you will have sickly blueberries if you do that. Um, you've got to go with your conditions. So if you do have alkaline soil like I do, grow loads and loads of brassicas. Be very careful with things like potatoes, which tend to develop scab in alkaline soil. Choose scab-resistant varieties. There's plenty of weapons in your armory, but work with your conditions. Don't try and struggle against them at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing is there's always next year To be honest, (laughs) if if, if things go horribly wrong this year and they really do quite often, even, you know, even when you've been gardening for a fair amount of time, as I have, things always go wrong. You sometimes have like weather conditions are really challenging at the moment, aren't they? Because we've got Mm -hmm. all these droughts happening during the summer. Mm -hmm. I'm still kind of struggling to adapt to that, really, and make ramping up my watering each year and making sure that I save enough rainwater. That's another absolutely key thing um, is to make sure that you make the most of the resources that you have. If you've got, um, like we have, very, very wet winters, then save all that rainwater because it's going to be invaluable once that dry summer hits.
1: Mm. It's almost hard to remember what it's like in the summer right now. Yes. The ground is, is so sodden. Yes. I'm just like, Absolutely. surely it's not going to be dried yeah. out completely again and I'm going to be like wishing that I'd kept all of this water or tried to yeah. harvest some of this water. But, um, yeah, it, it's hard to remember that.
2: It is it is astonishing how short our memories are, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, that's really. right. Although, you know, you, you can always dream about those lovely long hot summers when we're sitting here like this. Huh? Yes, but, that's uh, true. But certainly yeah. it is worth preparing for it, for yes. sure.
0: Um, well, thank you very much for chatting with us today, Sally. It's been great. Um, and just one last thing before you go. what um, What date is your book coming out? When can people look out for that?
2: You can pre-order it right now on Amazon um and and indeed other bookshop online bookshop sellers as well um but it is going to be published on the 4th of march so look out for it in a bookshop near you
0: oh brilliant thank you very much for joining us sally it's been great to chat and blake shall we go and talk tomatoes with mike bracegirdle from our sponsor marshall's garden let's do that We would now like to introduce our next guest to the podcast. We have Mike Bracegirdle, who is category manager at Marshall's Garden, and is going to be chatting to us with some top tomato tips. So, hello, Mike.
1: Afternoon. Hello. How are you today? Where are you joining us from?
3: Uh, I'm joining you from the flatlands of South Lincolnshire. It's a sort of Spalding area, which, if people do know, it's quite a big a very big, large growing area, especially for vegetables, but a lot of ornamentals as well. So yeah, it's quite flat out there, but uh, great, v- great views.
1: Yeah. So I have family in Lincolnshire <laughs> and, and it's yeah, it's just, you know, when you've reached it because there's just open fields everywhere, but it's really, really pretty, isn't it? And, That's right. Yes. Cool. So we've got you on today to talk about tomatoes, which mm-hmm. obviously for most people listening are probably a must grow on the, on the plot. So um, first of all, I thought, as it's early in the season so yes. what are your growing tips for growing them from seed well i think
3: i think you're right i think tomatoes are probably the one thing that everyone does like to have a grow at, whether they're young or, or old i think everyone's had a go at them uh and the seed sowing is I, I think it's quite simple really but it's um it's a nice way of getting into growing because they they usually germ quite well uh, i think some of the things you have to look for though really on any any seeds, but on the tomatoes is starting off with clean, very clean pots, trays, tools, um, making sure you don't use old compost. I know a lot of people have used, especially this time, we actually oh, dig out the compost that was in the back of the greenhouse last mm-hmm. year. Maybe not right for <laughs> seedlings. Um, mm. Maybe okay to blend in for bigger pots later on, but I think for the seedlings, try and get some new, fresh, um, certainly potting compost on keep the trays clean. If you've got new trays, that's great. If you haven't, I think you give them a bit of quick sterilization, give them a wash down, make sure there's no old residue in there. Um, And then really just, just get your seed trays. Uh, If you're going to use, you can use seed trays, open seed trays and just fill them up with compost, or you can use the plugs and the modules. They're quite popular nowadays. Uh, I think people find them quite easier to to sow because you know where you're supposed to sow you're supposed to sow them in the middle so that they're, they're like the mm-hmm. multi multi-plastic modules where you get 30 or 50 or certain amounts of, of small little round holes to fill the compost with um and make sure they're just filled up nice and firmly as with the seed tray and i think one thing i do try and do is keep make sure the compost is is moist when before you start rather than thinking what i'll do if it's a bit dry i'll water it at the end because it mm-hmm. it really does you, you can you can just splash all the seeds all over the place especially if it's not quite moist to the top of where you're putting the seedlings in that'll uh, not get them off to the best of starts yeah. uh, so cleanliness i think is is a good bit wash your hands obviously these days anyway but uh, i think it's surprising how much is on your hands when you're grubbing around in the, in the literally in the dirt mm-hmm. um <laughs> and i think When you sow them, so you've got your packet, you've got plenty of seeds in there. I know it goes against the grain a little bit, but I wouldn't sow too many all in a a small area. I mean, if you're doing the modules you put one seed per module, which is great. If you're sowing them on open open seeds, try and keep them relatively sparse because you don't want them competing too much. And to be honest, you'll probably just end up pricking them out later on and maybe not using all of them. I mean, it's great to grow tomatoes, but if you get 50 plants out of a pack or even 20 plants that's a lot of plants <laughs> uh, it's great yeah. it's great to grow them it's great for your friends and your neighbors you know but maybe um just just to keep them fairly openly sparse uh spread on top of the compost mm. or the other thing that is is quite good just give them do do one set of sowing and then a couple of weeks later do another and maybe a couple of weeks do it another because you just never know you might lose the whole tray you, you know, it's easy. You can literally just drop the trays. You're moving it around, or something stupid like that, or, or you get a bit of disease in the first tray you sow, and you know the seeds are so cheap that you can probably just throw that away. And you've got your second and third batches anyway. Mm. Uh, and it's a good way of feeling that you're actually making the most out of the packet of seeds. Yes. Uh, and once you've got them, I think if you if you can use the right compost, it's usually fairly fine. Uh, if you can make make it flat, a lot of people have little square sort of rectangles of wood to push the compost down in or if you're using the modules just make sure it's fairly compacted in um, get the seeds in I usually just, just spread them thinly over the top you can push them down a little bit and then just cover them again with fine compost over the top no more than two three four mils of, of compost over the top really they don't need to be too deep and if you're doing the modules give them a little bit of a push in, and again just spread them over with a compost over the top um, you're looking at i think going back to the watering a few few people do a nice little trick which is just put them in the bath in a in a bath of water so if you've got the sewing tray put it into a a, another sewing tray that's got no holes in fill it with water and let the water soak into the compost from the bottom and i think that's Mm. that's quite a good trick all the way through the little seedlings life really i've too many times you may have a bit later on when the seedlings are growing and you spray them or you water them from over the top, you just you just knock them all over and they really they really don't like it at all. So watering from the base just keeps that keeps the moisture in the compost. And if um, when I used to do work on the garden centre, just literally soak it for fifteen minutes, then lift it out. Don't leave it for hours because it'll just soak the compost and could lead to rotting. Just give it a mm-hmm. make sure it's and constant so rather than just over watering and then let it dry out over watering. Try and keep the moisture levels all the same. Um, a lot of people use, so once you've done that, you've sown your seed, put the compost in, it's all nice and moist. Uh, if you've got a little propagator, you can put the you can put that over the top. Put it somewhere light. I wouldn't say too bright to start with because you don't want it to be having too much heat uh, fluctuations of temperature anyway. Uh, keep it somewhere light and just keep an eye on it. If you've got the propagator lid, put the lid on. If you haven't, just on a windowsill. Uh, if you've got a greenhouse, perfect place. Um, and you're looking at uh, sowing seed now. Is okay if you've got a greenhouse. It's probably a bit early. Really, you're looking at sort of February, February to March to April is probably the best time. February and yeah. March if you've got a greenhouse and somewhere nice and heat or heated, heated potting benches, they'd be perfect. But if you're growing them sort of just for yourself on indoor, in a, win- a window sill, you could probably wait till March maybe to get them going. Mm-hmm. Uh, after not many days, you should see the seedlings coming through. Um, i say just try and keep that water level moist all the time and don't water from the top Uh, the seedlings should get you should get the first true seed leaves um, and then you should start seeing the true tomato leaves coming through uh, once you're probably at that stage and they're looking fairly strong and they're coming up from the top of the compost you're probably good time to start pricking them out Mm -hmm. Uh, which i've used everyone's got a pencil or a dibber or anything like that i think the biggest biggest thing to concern yourself with tomatoes don't grab them by the by the stem uh, or the only pick them out by the leaf especially if you can yeah. use the seedling leaves and tease them out it's quite easy to think oh, I'll just pull them out with a, maybe a little bit of force <laughs> actually try and get right underneath the roots it's it, you can imagine it's a tiny little seed tiny little plant tiny little root system there's nothing really to it so it's really delicate with it
1: i get quite stressed about this point of the cycle because i'm (laughs) just quite heavy-handed and yeah you know all these dainty little seedlings need to be handled with care and (laughs) i think
3: that's that's why if if you do uh sew them sparsely you're not sort of keeping your your hands in amongst lots of different seedlings at the same time Mm -hmm. you can almost identify one at a time especially on the open trays the modules are a bit easier to to prick out because you've taken a whole compost plug with it and then it's a bit easier to move but if you're just teasing out those little seedlings just try and get underneath right to the bottom of the tray and, and almost just agitate the soil almost so it comes out fairly nice and i say just make sure you're using the um, the leaves of the seedlings rather than the actual stalk of it um mm. and then you could pot them depending on the time of year i think if you if you went to early if you wanted to you could pot them into a Maybe six or seven centimeter sort of square type pot or something of that size, and then pot them onto a bigger pot. But I still think you could probably okay to pot them onto something like a nine centimeter straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah. again, same thing with that. If you've got a greenhouse, leave them in the greenhouse. Uh, if it's a bit later on in the year and you're putting them back to where the seedlings started from, um, then keep them keep them more more light than maybe when the seedlings were but just keep an eye on they don't get too hot and they don't get too dried out. Mm. Uh, so you're probably, you're probably at a stage now where you're getting the first few leaves, you're getting the first tomato leaves, they're growing away. Um, you're looking for good, strong growth, obviously. Uh, usually look for the, white, the little white roots coming through the bottom of the pot which is always a good sign that they've rooted through Mm -hmm. Uh, if you don't be tempted to keep having a look (laughs) keep digging around going are they all right just let them get on with it and they'll they'll grow pretty quickly and grow quite strongly and if you're aiming for a plant that's say i don't know eight ten twelve centimeters high before you're putting it on i suppose at this stage you're looking at hardening them off if you want to put them outside so harden them off just really getting them used to the outside temperatures and on a, a normal spring day you can put them out for a few hours put them somewhere i say maybe not in the brightest part of the garden the sunshine but certainly as much light as you can just for a few hours during the sort of main part of the day and then bring it back in at night and try and do that every almost every couple of days just add another hour add another hour and then you'll harden them off
1: so would you want to wait until the the last frost is done before you yeah start doing uh, that, yes
3: or? yeah tr- yeah i think when it's later on um Yes, if you if you you're probably into um late April, May and you can be caught out with those frosts, can't you, sometimes and you think mm-hmm. it looks all right. Mm-hmm. But again, if 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 you harder them off from being inside um inside the house even then okay, you're putting them during the day so the frosts have gone. If you've got them in the greenhouse, just watch out for those frosts, especially in the greenhouse. It's got maybe, if it's got a good heating system, great. If it's if it hasn't, then you just have to, you maybe leave them inside and not put them in the greenhouse until probably April time, maybe May time. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got, hopefully, getting to a point you've got a, a fairly strong uh, plant. Um, you've got it all growing away. It's in a nine centimeter pot. You're hardening them off. And then, I would not say you're done but you've certainly you've certainly cracked it by um getting a, a sturdy plant ready to pot on to or just plant out into the final positions with grow bags or in the soil in the greenhouse or in pots or wherever you want to put them and then you should be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh one thing I think is the other thing you, I uh, made a bit of a mistake on is um labelling, good labelling um and not <laughs> labelling with 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 sort of uh you know non-waterproof pens and that sort of thing. Uh, so you just have to be careful on that because you can soon lose especially if you're
2: doing if you
3: get into it and do a lot of varieties, you know. Um a a seedling looks quite similar to many seedlings. A tomato seedling looks very similar to all the other tomato varieties. Yeah. So once you keep yeah. your labelling pretty tight and make sure you follow through with that.
0: Surprise tomatoes.
3: <laughs> yeah, surprise tomatoes, yes. because yes, I um I did pot up some into a hanging basket thinking it was um the right thing to do um and it ended up being uh a taller non-hanging basket type variety and it grew sort of one to oh two no. feet every <laughs> every week and it was like i picked the <laughs> wrong variety put it in the wrong asking basket uh very a simple thing to do but um yeah. and what yeah, is what done. i what what i did then I, hopefully i recovered it i literally took the basket uh and the hand, the, the chain off and just um almost knocked it out and planted it back in the soil. So I, I think mm. I got away with it. <laughs> I <think> I
0: <laughs> away with it. Well, um, speaking of plants at the stage of potting on and things, for anybody listening who won't be growing their tomatoes from seed this year, um, would you be able to tell everybody what the best time is to buy potted or grafted tomato plants to add to your garden?
3: Yes. Um, if you, well, you look to the next stage um from so you've got the seeds buy your packet hopefully be successful with it and you've got yourself some nine centimeters of tomatoes uh the next stage up is really the plug plug side of it um which you can buy obviously uh from our range as well but um you can buy them so so they're almost they're germinated they're seedlings so they've done all the work from sowing to become a small young plant ready to be potted on to the next stage So that's sort of your next stage along mm-hmm. so that they should be quite mature plants two or three true pairs of leaves uh, and they can get potted onto your nine centimeter and then you follow the process through uh, if you're buying which is usually late late April we recommend to put so late April early May we send all ours out Yeah. You just, as you said before, you get into a point where the first, the the last frosts are going. uh, It's warming up. The days are longer. The light levels are great. Uh, So then that's the best time to sort of do the plug side of it. If you're buying nine centimeter pots, uh, most, a lot of the nurseries do start them quite early on as well. So you can probably get them at about the same time, late April, early May. But they will go all the way through. You can still buy them till middle of June. Uh, Don't be too late with buying them Mm -hmm. because obviously the later you get, the later your crop and you, you want to try and have all summer taking your taking your tomatoes rather than being towards the back end of the summer so i'm really mm-hmm. aiming for i think nine centimeters really aim for middle of may late may early june mm-hmm. the grafted plants we do sort of mid may late may as well the grafted plants are quite um more mature than a plug and probably a bit more advanced than the nine centimeters as well because they're grafted on really strong, healthy rootstocks. They've mm-hmm. been growing in the greenhouses. Yeah. They te- they're a bit of an older plant because obviously you've got to have the rootstock and the, the the variety you've got grafted onto the to the rootstock. Um and it takes a few weeks for that process to, to heal up. So by that time you've got quite a mature plant. So you could probably go slightly later with your grafted grafted tomatoes late into May. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still do them mid June, you can still do them late June. Um, if you're yeah. doing the sort of the bush small patio ones um yeah they'll get away and you'll 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 get fruit on them within four to six weeks so even if you put them in june you're not too late but um i think if you start your seedlings yeah march to april you got plugs late late april uh, you've got your pot sort of late April into May, and then you graft it into late May and sort of follow that process. So, actually, if you miss the seedlings, you miss the plugs, you can still buy your pots and grafted.
1: Yeah. So you graft it. Or if, like yeah. me, you're heavy handed and you tried to <laughs> kill them the all. Ground, you're tricking <laughs> them out, you knocked them over broke the stems. There's a backup plan. <laughs> There's a good backup plan. Yeah,
3: yeah, good backup plan. That's why I say, if you, even if it's season if you sow three batches, you've always got a little bit of a backup plan there. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So, um However you come about your tomato plant, whether you've raised it from seed or got a plug or a grafted plant, um, looking at the point where you're getting it into its final growing position and caring for the plant, Uh um, what are the best conditions for growing tomatoes? Um, I think
3: sunlight and light levels are probably the most important thing. They do like lots of light. I wouldn't say lots of heat. Because I think that's uh, that's maybe not completely true. They do like light, which obviously makes heat. But just they do suffer a little bit if it's very very hot, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in closed down greenhouses. So let's say indoors and outdoors. So if you're out in the garden, you want to put them in a garden spot somewhere nice and sunny. You probably won't get the intense heat you get in a greenhouse, so you're okay to put them in somewhere really nice and sunny, real south facing, somewhere out of the wind as well, um, because they can you know they're still quite delicate when they're growing through and and strong winds not only can dry them out and 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 probably cause you know maybe some leaves to dry out a bit more than it would normally it's more about rocking certainly if you plant them in the first first two or three weeks if the wind's blowing them around and they're rocking on their stems just above the soil surface that that can cause a few problems so just watch for that but mostly uh, they will like a lot of heat basking in the sunshine they'd love it um in the glass house same thing um wherever your glasshouse is situated you can put them in there just have to be mindful of the heat so when you get into really hot summer days late may um into early june if you've planted them freshly just make sure it, it make sure it doesn't get too hot so open your doors open your vents open your uh, open um the vents in the greenhouse and if you're in a good habit of putting whitewash on or screening you know any material screening that's a great time to do it sort of mid-may to late may mm-hmm. so it's still warm still got some light levels it's amazing how much light comes through screening but not that real burning direct heat on it um yeah. and i think it's it's a lot of the conditions um are about so if you put it into bare soil just make sure you can try. They do like to feed a lot as well, so make sure you've got some manure in there because um, yeah. they do like. They are quite hungry as far as uh, the elements to keep them growing healthily. Mm-hmm. If you put them in grow bags, the grow bags are great because most of the grow bags have got their that they're all fully contained. They've all got the right nutrients in there already. Um, I, we can talk about tomato feeds all, all day long, but you know <laughs> you can top up the feeding, and you probably should feed an awful lot once they start to get more mature and the fruits are on but initially um the grow bag would be in the right place i've even sometimes put the grow bag on top of the soil and make sure you you know people put the plants in the grow bag you slit the base usually to make sure the drainage but if you i've sometimes put it on top of the soil uh in the same part of the garden and and amazing They by the end of the summer they've rooted out into the garden as well because they just okay. you know the more roots you can get in the bigger the well not bigger the plant but you know the, they will just keep going and going and going so that's that's yeah. okay mm-hmm. and then if you put them in in the soil in your greenhouse just make sure you know what's been in there before um you know and it's relatively clean it's not got any old old leaves or anything in there again just to make sure there's no um diseases or uh, you know any pests or diseases that are hanging about in the greenhouse yeah um and then once those are the the places to put them in um i think watering is probably the biggest thing to make sure you get them established a bit like i said before try not to wash i mean i see a lot of people do wash the plants don't wash the plants (laughs) put the water in the soil where the roots are um you know, it's 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 sort of tempting to see that image of somebody with a watering can and it's three foot in the air and they're watering the plant. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're, you're getting water everywhere. Just just soak the soil, just soak the soil, yeah. and uh, get them get them established. And once they're away, um, then as long as you keep the moisture levels correct, they should be very happy, very happy.
0: Mm. Well, before we um, let you go and get back to your garden, <laughs> just. Another one I'd like to spring on you, if that's okay. Um, No, dear. We know obviously that Marshall's Garden has an absolutely fantastic selection of tomato seeds, with plenty of new ones this year. Um, I know this is a tough question. Do you have any personal favourites that you'd like to share?
3: Uh, Personal favourites, I, I I prefer the smaller cherry type ones, uh, the juicy ones. uh, They're the ones that you can snack on quite a lot and i do one um some gold is one of uh, you know it's a fantastic one it's one of those ones it's 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 one of our customer favorites as well and some gold is it's very sweet um there is a there is there is a scale of a bricks level and 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 uh, professionals used it for for quantifying how sweet a uh all vegetables are really not just not just tomatoes but uh as far as that's one of the sort of gold standard you know if you can get to the sweetness of a sun gold when they're breeding Mm. they sort of go yes uh you know we've got there and that's a fantastic little one as well um there's some new ones that we've got that um uh indigo types which are uh, like a dark purple um you may have seen them they're like a dark purple fruit Mm -hmm. um and they're quite high in in, uh, lycopenes and they're um sort of a natural element that uh, helps with just good constitution and and, and uh, sort of anti antioxidants uh mm-hmm. so that's quite quite an exciting range we're putting in this year as well uh if you're looking for a nice great big um beefsteak type tomato you know those uh real chunky ones those sort of things uh i think uh carazon is one of our of our best sellers or country taste uh they sell year after year and they give you a really good really good uh really good harvest on those and then some we've got a new sweetheart uh sorry heartbreaker heartbreaker um series which are um the shape of a uh almost a it's it is sort of a heart it's pointed at the base and it (laughs) indents at the top so but they're lovely juicy sweet um but you know it's slightly novel um but still still a very good still a very good variety Uh, something for everyone yeah yeah, Definitely. something for everyone, and and the, the mini plums. There's a, there's a, a series, uh, the Bell series: Katie Bell, Lucy Bell, Lizzie Bell. They're all three different colours, and um, I think if you love cherries and or mini cherries, and you love the plums, mini plums, and they are a mini plum variety, uh, and they're lovely. They yeah, you can pick them and snack on them all day long. Um, but mm. yeah, there, there's there's there is literally hundreds out there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a few of our favourites.
0: Ah, oh, that sounds great. And like, there's going to be everyone's going to be spoilt for choice with the seed catalogue
3: yes yeah i know it's it's um it is a bit like a, a sweet shop uh it's it's there is literally something for everyone in there and it's quite good nowadays because I think everyone's aware of different shapes and sizes of the tomato so it's not too alien to see a plum or a mini plum or a, mm-hmm. a cherry or a, yeah. you know uh, a bell-shaped one they're in the supermarket so you're quite confident to grow them you know so there's a huge range out there huge range from Literally, a, a something that will go thirty centimeters to, um, you know, ones that are six foot tall and keep keep flowering and uh, fruiting all summer long. So there is literally something for everyone. There's a lot of disease resistance uh, out there as well. Summer last is one of the ones we do quite uh, a lot of, which uh, is is quite good against uh, late blight. You know, which which no matter how much hard work you do, late blight can just just hit you the wrong time at the end of the end of the summer. Uh, there's not much you can do about it but if you pick the right varieties you can keep cropping cropping that as well so yeah plenty to choose from
0: and um People can find all of these at marshesgarden dot com. Yeah, think.
3: absolutely. Um, yeah, go online, have a look round. Uh, we've got the seed catalogue online as well this year, which is quite nice. So it's 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 everyone's sort of used to it now. Is you go on, you open the book and it flicks as though it's a proper book, um, or just 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 go online and just order the book if you haven't already received it anyway. But it's a lovely little seed book of seeds. Uh, it's it's nice to have on the windowsill and just just flick through. Certainly when the weather's like this, it's cheesy. (laughs) And you think, spring is coming. Spring is definitely coming.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing all of your tomato expertise and also giving us plenty of variety inspiration as well. Um, I know we will be hearing from one of your colleagues again next week. Oh, okay. um, In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us. And Blake, shall we grab a cup of tea yeah let's do that thank you very much hello again Blake
1: hi hi
0: have you got a cup of tea
1: I haven't actually, because obviously we just took a little break and had our lunch and I went for a walk and I didn't get time to make it tea and I got back. So instead, I've got a super smoothie juice nice. and it's called Energize. So, And is it
0: making you feel energized?
1: If halfway through this recording, I start getting a bit too excited. <laughs> we'll know why. Just tell me to rein it in a little bit. Yeah. It's strawberry, cherry, apple, flax seeds.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, it sounds very healthy. And I mean, all stuff that you could grow yourself.
1: I could have made this myself. I haven't actually, obviously, but yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. That's your project for the year. My challenge to you. (laughs)
1: Grow my own smoothie. (laughs) (laughs) This time next year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it will be something on the podcast that we actually follow through with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I had a really fun press release that you probably Mm -hmm. had as well. Um, But it popped up this morning and I was like, not sure what I was going to talk about today. When this came through, I was like, this is the one. Um, I feel like we've probably mentioned it before, but about how you can play music to your plants and whether that works. It feels like something we might have spoken about ages ago, actually, maybe back in series one. But um, yeah, this press release uh, spoke about a new study that revealed that 48% of Brits have played their plants music. Uh, in order to help them grow, which I thought was quite a high number.
0: But also, w- do those numbers take into account people that just would be playing music as they're tending to their plants? Or is it sort of specifically playing music to your plants?
1: Yeah, maybe that could also covers people that just have like a radio nearby in the room where a plant is growing, rather than specifically like putting some headphones on it, getting it all in the mood for some nice... Little tunes.
0: Well, I think there's two crucial questions here, really. One that is, is there a best type of music to make your plants grow better? And the second important question is, have you played music to your plants?
1: Uh I would be in that bracket of I always have music on if I'm working, especially now we work from home. Working from home I have music on in the background or I have the radio on or maybe sometimes a podcast. But mm-hmm. yeah, so the plants are always getting music around, but I don't specifically go out of my way to you Know, I don't. I, I've never really perhaps been a convert on the uh music helps them grow mm-hmm. side of things, but maybe I will be now. Maybe this is where yeah. I'm going wrong because I won't lie to you, Laura. My house right now, uh, you know, from when we sometimes video chat, is full of dead house plants because <laughs> for some reason they were all thriving and then over the last couple of months they've just given up. Um. Oh. Which is quite sad. So maybe I need to do something different. I've become a bit of a houseplant assassin. And I used to pride myself on being a real good houseplant keeper. Um, a proper plant dad. So. Yeah,
0: you are the house plant expert of the office.
1: I know. In fact, to the point where you sent me home with all of our office plants and now some of those <laughs> have died as well. So it's just, yeah, not good. So oh. um, I think I need to start doing this more. But what was quite shocking from this press release was actually the music that the people that were surveyed said they were playing their plants. It's just really <laughs> bizarre. So number one was Lewis Capaldi who, <laughs> I don't know whether you're down with the kids, who but is quite a big name right now. Um, Six <laughs> of people said that he was their uh, musician of choice. Um, The K-pop band, BTS were on fifty five percent, and the third place was Taylor Swift. Right. Um, also on the list: Elton John, Stormzy, Rihanna, Fleetwood Mac, Bowie. So like the full spectrum of musicians.
0: I mean, I guess some make slightly more sense than others, but whatever floats your boat, I suppose. Yeah, maybe this should be a thing. We should do with your like half dead house plants. You should do an experiment where they're all in different rooms. And then you play different music to them and see which ones recover best. That sounds like a very
1: controlled experiment. Wow. (laughs) Highly scientific.
0: Not taking into account light, warmth, anything else. Just whichever one thrives after having K-pop played to it.
1: Yeah. So I thought that was quite a fun little thing. And um, thank you, Pointless Plants, who did that survey. It made me smile this morning anyway.
0: Yeah, that's really, really fun. And I think we should all try it. (laughs) Um, the story that I am going to be talking about today is a feature that was um, on the Guardian's website in their um, their group of features, The Age of Extinction. And the feature is called Plotting the Future, The Seed Guardians Bringing Variety to UK Gardens. And it's basically about um, gardeners up and down the UK who are doing their bit for sort of um, keeping seed varieties going you know Mm -hmm. like various seed banks that you have up and down the country um and I think it's really interesting it's a really lovely read I would recommend everybody going to read about the seed guardians which I think is also a great great name and um yeah basically about keeping certain varieties of seeds safe and bringing them back into circulation and adapting in the area and how much it can make your environment thrive and um, it made me wonder, perhaps not with maybe rare heritage varieties and things, but have you ever tried saving any of your seeds in the garden?
1: Uh, when we were growing up with my grandparents, we would would keep uh, often beans would be the ones, so like runner beans or broad beans, would be you know my granddad would get out this ice cream cart and mm-hmm. um, open yeah. it up, and there'd be all these old dried seeds in there. But not so much because they were special heritage varieties or anything like that I think just yeah. because one it saved having to buy any the next year and two obviously we know that they can uh get better and, and more accustomed to your conditions so you sometimes have better results with them so um yeah just those really how about you
0: yeah I would say very much the same here I um, have saved bean seeds for a few years now This is going to sound absolutely ridiculous, but part of the reason is they're just so beautiful. Mm, (laughs) When you're sort of um, getting rid of the plants at the end of the season, it's always just like, oh, they're such little, tiny, tiny beans of beautiful colour and hope, and next year's crops and I just think it's a really lovely thing to do
1: it also just feels like a bit of a waste if you like because there's always a few that end up going to seed or start going to seed and then it's like at that point where you have to decide whether you're just going to get rid or keep and I think Mm -hmm. I imagine most people have some kind of attachment to that plant that they've been nurturing all year so they want to keep them
0: absolutely and I think I would really like to try with some other some other crops as well I'd like to do tomatoes and chilies Mm -hmm. um
1: yeah, they're a bit more fiddly, aren't they, I think, but um, would be very worthwhile, I'm sure.
0: And, and I know you can actually, you can do a lot of things um, that flower at the end of their life cycle as well, but I think the problem is, because my garden isn't very big, leaving something in mm-hmm. that takes up a lot of space is sometimes not extremely viable. But then also um, hearing Sally talking about um you know adding more perennial veg to your plot and stuff that Mm -hmm. you can leave in longer anyway I think that would be a good a really good way of experimenting a bit more with stuff like that
1: I loved that chat with Sally I picked up so many useful little tidbits of information yeah um is that a word (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah I did I picked up so many little tidbits of information and um just found the whole thing really interesting yeah. from a point of, of things that I'd just not thought about, about like leaving carbon in the ground. I was like, of course, this just makes total sense. Why have I never thought of it like that? She just kind of uh, reframed it for me and framed it in a slightly different way that made me see everything in a different light. So I'm, I'm quite excited to actually have a little read of that book, to be honest. Yeah,
0: I think the book will be fascinating and really looking forward to it coming out. But speaking of information... I'd better get back to the magazine work, but I believe you have some jobs on the plot for everybody. I'm
1: prepped and ready and I have got some jobs on the plot for your end of January garden. Much of the country has been enduring heavy snowfall of late, so you may not be able to get out on your plot just now there's no need to panic if you've had a thick covering of snow. It can actually help to insulate the plants underneath, so only remove it if the weight is crushing those winter crops. With the evenings just beginning to noticeably lengthen, and the first daffodil shoots emerging, there's a sense that better times are finally on their way, with the promise of spring not too far off now. On sunny days, treat yourself to a walk down to the plot so that you can stand there and daydream about the emerging site of the months to come. It can provide a real mental well-being boost. Seed orders will be gently dropping through your door, so dust off the propagator, buy yourself some seed compost and get ready for a productive spell in the greenhouse or potting shed. And if you've yet to order those seeds for the year, what are you waiting for? The Brussels sprout harvest season is in full swing right now. Keep picking buttons regularly, starting from the bottom of the stem and working your way upwards. Blustery weather over the past few weeks may have left these tall plants looking a bit worse for wear. So if you have a particularly exposed plot, you may want to think about combating this in the future by earthing up as they grow, staking securely, or building some kind of windbreak to mitigate problems. Don't forget about your container herbs at this time either. You can offer potted ones safety in numbers by grouping them together in a shelter position during prolonged cold spells, which will help to protect the roots from freezing. And if you're itching to get something done in the garden this weekend, mint propagates incredibly easily from root cuttings. Simply bury four centimetre long sections in a pot of gritty compost and place in a cold frame to keep the worst of the winter weather at bay. Have a lovely week and until next time, happy growing.
0: Thanks again for joining us for this episode of The Dirt in partnership with Marshalls. Marsha's Garden is an online gardening shop where it's easy to find everything you need for gardening all in one place. Founded over 75 years ago, its heritage is in supplying vegetable seeds and plants, including seed potatoes, onions, fruit plants and trees to grow your own gardeners.
1: The company's passion, expertise and excellence continues in 2021, where it will launch over 130 new seed varieties. Specialists in garden care, Marshall's has the best range of compost, fertilisers, controls, and hardware you will find online. Order from the easy-to-use website or from the delightful catalogue for convenient delivery direct to your door. You'll find lots of help and advice on the website, including growing guides, seasonal advice, monthly jobs, and inspiration for projects to do in the garden. Just visit marshallsgarden.com for more.
0: And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode of the Debt. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to tell all your lovely garden and allotment neighbours where to find us. Plus as a special treat we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the Dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7 that's g-p-o-d and the number seven or call 0800 904 seven triple zero and quote GPod seven to receive seven issues of our magazine grow your own straight to your door for just 29.99 that's 11.94 off every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list and a big bonus each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away Check the episode notes for details and terms. And on a final exciting note, we're on the hunt for podcast guests and the next one could be you or someone you know. If you, a friend or a family member, has some great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters they'd like to share, let us know by emailing thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk.